Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. In other words, we're dealing with some of the principles that operate when you become a member of the body of Christ. Okay? Everything in life operates according to some inherent laws. Everything in life. There are some inherent laws that the designers put in place. And those inherent laws are put in there so that they can be they can allow the thing that is being or that so that they can allow that particular object to operate the way the person who designed it wants it to operate. There is a particular law that operates in a vehicle, in a in, in a car. And that law is that it must operate on a gasoline. Even if you don't like the idea, if you think that gasoline is too expensive, if you think that gasoline smells very badly, if you think that gasoline should not be used in a car, and then you now pick a car that you bought and decide to pour some water into it and decide to drive, I can assure you that no matter how much you hate gasoline, your car is not going anywhere. Okay, Because the person who designed it, what they have in mind, the, the limitations that they put in place is that the car has to operate using what? A gasoline. The same thing in life. You might have said it here several times. You might not like the law of gravity, but that is the way God has designed this particular earth where we live right now. That anyone who lives here is subject to what? Subject to the law of gravity. If you don't like it, go and jump from Batman's Tower and find out what will happen to you. The point we are making is this. There are is Everything in life operates according to some inherent law. And those inherent laws are some, there are some basic characters that are characteristics that are built into those laws. And those characteristics, number one, is that inherent law relates to the nature of the object it applies to. The laws that are in place in the life of any particular individual, any particular object, relates to that particular object. Okay, so when you talk about the laws of, you know, when you talk about the laws that operate for people, for, for fishes, it is designed to operate around the place where the fish lives in. Every fish has to live in water. The fish that say, I don't like water. I don't like it because it's too wet. I don't like water because I don't want to live in it. So I decide to change my mind. I want to live on the ground. What happens to that fish? That fish is dead. The point we are making is that every inherent law relates to the nature of the object that it applies to. This inherent law has to do with the nature of that particular thing. Birds fly. That's what they do. If birds decide to walk like human beings, they have a problem. Because they are not designed to walk like human beings. The law inside of them is designed them to be able to fly. Number two, inherent law are set, they set conditions of operation. In other words, when the person who designed this microphone designed it, 
there was a condition that is set in there and that is that it is supposed to amplify my voice if i take this microphone and i now decide to use it for a hammer what happens it no longer functions the way it was designed to function in other words inherent laws set the conditions of operation this inherent law exists to make sure that the condition of operation is carried out consistently equitably without prejudice anyone who applies that law must apply it must apply to everybody so it doesn't matter whether you are white or black. It doesn't matter whether you are short or tall. If you are going to use this microphone, you will have to speak into it. Right? You will have to speak into it. The fact that I'm a tall man doesn't mean like I keep my microphone at the back and it will not function. The point we are making is that the law is, is designed to make sure that the condition of operation is equitable, is general to everybody. Not only that, inherent laws guarantees optimal performance. What does that mean? It means that as long as I obey the laws that is set for this particular microphone, it will do what it was designed to do. It will amplify my voice. If a bird flies in the air, it will fly properly. If a fish swims in the water, it will swim properly. If the fish decide to leave the water and start walking on the land, it will have problem. If the birds decide to leave the sky and go inside the water, it's going to have problem. The idea is that inherent laws guarantees optimal performance. Number four now, observing inherent law determines your own effectiveness. In other words, if you want to be effective in life, you have to obey the laws that are set in place. You have to obey the laws that make things work. If you live in the U.S. here and you decide to obey the laws of Africa, you might have problem with the people here in the U.S. Because the laws here are different from the laws back home. If you live in Africa and you decide to come and obey the laws of Africa, obey the law of, uh, obey the law of America in Africa, you are going to have problem. The observing inherent law determines the effectiveness. As long as the birds continue to fly in the sky, they are going to be effective. You cannot beat a bird that is flying in the sky. The only problem is that you, the birds will start having problem when you decide to begin to act like a human being. Or when men begin to act like animals, that's when they become, that's when they have problems. But when men act like men, they are effective. So, the laws what? The laws, uh, observing inherent laws, determine effectiveness. And then number five, obedience to inherent laws pro ensures success and progress. When you obey inherent laws, there is, you, are, you are ensured success and you are ensured progress. Okay? Violating these inherent laws, therefore, brings disorder and dysfunction and that is why a man who does not know the use or does not does not know the proper function of his wife will abuse her if you don't know the proper function of Tyler law you are going to abuse it if you don't know the proper function of anything you are going to abuse it okay so violation of inherent law leads to disorder and dysfunction and that is why when you, when you see people violate societal laws, when you are driving on the freeway and you decide to go 900, 100 miles per hour, you are violating the law. And if you don't take time, you will cause disorder, you will cause dysfunction. So violating inherent law does what? Leads to disorder and dysfunction. Now, inherent laws finally protects and guides the proper functioning of life. If you obey the laws, it guides proper functioning and if you know, proper, you, it, it protects and guides proper functioning of life. In other words, if everybody does what they are supposed to do, life will be easy for everyone. 
problems start when you think that you are above the law or when I think I'm above the law. That's when trouble starts. But if everybody lives their life the way they're supposed to live it, everybody know life will function the way it was supposed to function. Now that they, now now these are the these are the laws that are built into creation and every aspect of human life. Every society is governed by law. No human society can survive without any law. Because if you come into this place, there's a law of decorance, of proper behavior. There's a law of proper attitude. When you come into this place and you feel that you are above the law, and when somebody is ministering and you are deciding to create your own special ministration session, we are going to have disorder, we are going to have chaos. So, no human society can survive without law. We are all seated here today and we are subject to the laws of this country. And as Christians, you are also subject to the laws of God if you are born again. Okay? So everyone here who is a Christian, everyone here who is born again, are subject to two laws. The laws of man, which is the society that we live in, and the laws of God, which is, as a, as a Christian, the laws of heaven. The Bible makes us to understand the book of Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse number 20. It said that for, we are, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we are not just citizens of the country where we are living in, we are also citizens of heaven. So we are subject to the laws of man, we are subject also to the laws of God. The question is, why do we have laws in the first place? Why do you need laws? Why do we need to be able to have a, you know, a particular system of governance of ourselves? Why do we need laws in the first place? Number one, law enforces and protects the standards by which the society operates. If there is no standard, everybody will do whatever they want. If there are no, if there are no laws, everybody will make up their own laws. In the book of Judges, I think in Judges, the Bible makes us to understand there that in the days where there was no law, everybody does whatever they like. Everybody became a law unto themselves. If you wake up this morning and you say, this is the way I want to do it, nobody can stop you because there's no law to govern you. So, law enforces and protects the standard by which the society operates. Number two, law defines the duties of the people. It is the law of this country that you have to pay taxes. It is the laws of this country that on, the, on, the, on the April 15, you have to file your taxes with the IRS. That is the law of the land. It tells you, it defines the duties of the people. Number three, the law protects the rights of the people. In other words, you have a right as a citizen of this country. You have a right as a citizen of a society to be able to enjoy some benefit. And the law stipulates that. Number four, the law clarifies the expectations of government. In other words, when you are within a particular body of believers, when you are, particular, when you are within a particular society, the, so the government expects certain things from you. And that expectation is spelled out in the law. And then number five or number six, the law prescribes penalties for violators. In other words, if you don't do what you are supposed to do, that is why we have the men in blue. Okay? That's why you have some people who will make sure they put you where you're supposed to be, where you belong. The law prescribes penalties for violators. Now, please understand that these laws, these attributes of the law, they apply not only to the physical world, they also apply to the spiritual world. In other words, just like you have laws in America, you also have laws in the kingdom. Just like the law protects the citizens of this country, the laws of God also protect the people of God. Just like if you violate the laws of this country, you will, have some, you will suffer consequence. The same thing, if you violate the laws of God, you will suffer consequences. So, these laws, the attributes of the law, they apply both to secular and to spiritual societies. 
Now, many of you have heard about what is called the Ten Commandments. I mean, anyone here who has never heard about the Ten Commandments? Everybody here, at least at one point in time, have heard about the Ten Commandments. And if you have never heard about the Ten Commandments, and you were here this morning when we were reading our Bible, that is the Ten Commandments that you have just read. Okay? So we have all heard about the Ten Commandments, and this law, these are the laws that were given to, by God for to His people to determine how His people will not only relate with Him, but how they will relate to one another. Those were the parameters. Those were the law that God has set in place. So, so that we can relate to him and relate to one another. These ten commandments are the basic framework for life within the kingdom of God. They are the parameters that God says, okay, this is how I want you to relate to me. And this is how I want you to relate to one another. It defines the condition for a fruitful relationship with God and with man. It tells both parties that these are the things you can do and these are the things you cannot do. That's what the Ten Commandments is all about. Every, like every law, if you follow them, you get the benefits. And if you violate them, you will suffer the consequences. The question now this morning is this. You came to church to listen to the Bible. You came to church to hear about something good, something uplifting. Why are we talking about the laws? I mean, something if, I, if I were in your shoes, I'll be asking, what is this preacher talking about? Why are we talking about the law? The first thing is that we are talking about the law because your effectiveness as a Christian is a function of your understanding of what it takes to walk with God. How effective you are as a Christian, how good you are as a Christian, what you will benefit in the kingdom of God is a function of your understanding of what it takes to walk with God. If you don't know what it takes to walk with God, it will be very difficult for you to fulfill the condition of walking with God. If you don't know what it takes to walk with God, it will be very difficult for you to benefit from that relationship. It's just like a man and a woman who gets married and both of them have no idea what it means to be married. They have no idea what it means to be husband and wife. What do you think will happen to that relationship? There's definitely going to be chaos. Because when you think that the man knows what he's supposed to do, the man has no idea. And the woman also has no idea. The same thing, if you are in the kingdom, if you are a child of God, you need to know what it takes to walk with God. That is why we're talking about it. Number two, we're talking about it because benefiting from your walk with God requires you to know what it takes to walk with Him. If you want to benefit from it, if you want to enjoy your relationship with God, if you want to be able to see that that relationship produces the desired result, you need to know what it takes. What are the things that God likes? What are the things that God does not like? For those of us who have been married for a while, you understand that if you want to get something from your spouse, there are certain things that you have to do. And when you do those things, they will give you whatever they want. And for those of us who have kids, you know, when your kids are about to get something from you, there are certain things, there are some buttons that they will push. And once they push those buttons, they know that they are going to get what they want. The result is, this is because they understand who they are dealing with. They know what it takes to get the result, and they do it. And the same thing when you are working with God. You have to know what God likes. You have to know what God does not like. And then when you do the things that God likes, what happens is that God is happy with you, and then you get the results that you want. That is why we're talking about it. And then finally, growth and progress in your walk with God is a function of your understanding of how the kingdom operates. How the kingdom of God operates. If you know how that kingdom operates, you'll be able to grow and you'll be able to make progress in that kingdom. You will notice that if you're an immigrant and you come to this country and you begin to do the things that you used to do when you're back home in your country, if you bring it to this place, sometimes it might not work. 
Sometimes he might not be able to move you forward. And if you don't take time, sometimes it gets you into trouble. Because you don't understand how this particular society works. But if you understand how this society works, you will know where to get the benefits. You will know where to how to apply the law. You will know where to go for help. You will know who can help you. You will know what to stay away from and what to associate yourself with. Growth and progress in your work with God is a function of your understanding of how the kingdom of God operates. And the same thing is possible. It's also true. Stagnation in your work with God results from violating some basic principles of the kingdom. I used to joke with people that in this country, this is a country that never forgives. Okay? America is a country that never forgives. In the sense that if you commit a crime today and you are logged into the system, 20 years from now, as long as you have that thing called social security number and they punch it in, the first thing that will show up is Zoom. You have been a guest at the White House. It will show. Okay? And as soon as it shows up, the first question they will ask you is, have you, been, have you ever committed felony? Have you ever been jailed? Have you, you will answer that question every time. It's a system that does not forgive. So if you violate that law, it might stagnate your life and might cause you not to be able to move forward. The same thing when you are working with the Almighty God. There are certain things that you will do that will move you forward. There are certain things that you will do that will cut short your progress. And if you don't know those things, you might not be able to move forward. If you don't know those things, you will violate them. And one thing most of us have heard is you know, uh, ignorance of the law is not an excuse. I don't know it's not an excuse. My pastor did not tell me. It's not an excuse. It is your responsibility to find out. So stagnation in your work with God results from violating the basic principles of the kingdom. So this is the reason why we're talking about this thing this morning. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about these things one by one. Breaking down the laws of God one by one so that we can understand what is behind it and the things that, you know, the principles behind it. And one of the reasons I do these things is because if you read the book of Psalm 103, Psalm 103, reading from verse number 7, the Bible says that he made his ways known unto Moses. Okay? His acts to the children of Israel. We as children of God should not just be seeing the spectacular things that God is doing. We should be able to understand why he does what he does. We should be able to understand why the Lord blesses certain people and why certain people are not blessed. Why certain people receive miracles and why some people don't receive miracles. It's not because God doesn't like you. It's just that there are some basic principles that if you follow, you will get the results. Simple one is the Bible tells us, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. It doesn't matter whether you are handsome or ugly. It doesn't matter whether you are tall or short. If you follow that principle, you will get the results. Okay? It's as simple as that. The Bible said, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be, you know, shall be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. The Bible says that those who trust in the name of the Lord shall not be put to shame. If you trust in his name, you will not be put to shame. These are basic things we need to understand. And if you don't put them into practice, you will read about the promise of God, but you might not be able to see the results. And I pray that will not be our portion in Jesus' name. So those are, that's the reason why we're talking about it. So today we are starting with the first law of the kingdom. And if we go to the book of Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, please open to me here, Exodus 20, or you can simply just pick up, uh, pick up the bulletin. Exodus 20, we're reading from verse 1, 2 to number 3, to verse 3. And the Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
Thou shalt have no other God before me. We're going to stop there for today. In other words, God is saying, if you are going to walk with me, if you are going to have a relationship with me, you must recognize the first thing you must do in your walk with the Almighty God. If you are going to walk with me, you must recognize, number one, that I am God. You must recognize that I am the Lord who brought you out of your bondage, who brought you out of whatever situation that you found yourself, who brought you from where you are, from where you are being to where you are right now. I am that God. And as a result of the fact that I am the God who has done these things for you, I do not want you to have any other God before me. In other words, if you are going to walk with me, I should be your one and only God. Is that unreasonable? Huh? Is that unreasonable? If I say yes, I do to my wife. And I told you, now that, I've, now that I've said yes, I do to you. I want you to be my one and only. And I want you to recognize me as your one and only. Is that unreasonable? Is it unreasonable for God to say, I don't want you to have another God? Will it be okay for you if you are married to somebody? And then by the day that you do your wedding, after you pronounce all the wedding and everything, you turn to your wife and say, it's okay for you to continue to you know, go out without your boyfriend. Though. I don't have any problem with it. The woman will look at you and say, something is definitely wrong with your head. Something is wrong with you. Because you are supposed to be jealous for your wife or your husband. You are supposed to be passionate. You are supposed to be possessive of them. It doesn't mean that you get to the point where you become obsessive, that you don't allow them to talk to any other person. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that you are supposed to love them to the point that you do not, you know, you do not take it lightly when they violate your marriage covenant. The same thing is what the Lord is talking about. If you are going to walk with me, the Lord is saying, mm -hmm. I should be your one and only God. And that is basically the law of sovereign authority. The law of sovereign authority, which is what we're dealing with this morning. This may sound possessive, like I said, it may sound restrictive, but the very fair condition that God puts to any form of relationship, that if you are going to have a relationship with me, if you are going to be called by my name, if you are going to associate with me, if you are going to be called by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, then you must associate with me and me alone. You must not have any other God apart from me. You must not bow down to any other thing. You must not begin to put any other thing ahead of me. That is what the Lord is saying. And for those who are married, like I said, you do not have your wife and share with several other or ten other men. If you do that, that's a different story altogether. It's no longer marriage. The law of sovereignty is based on the exclusive claim that God is, has on, that God has on the whole of His creation because He is the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. Okay. And because he created and he sustains the universe, he has the right and he has the power and he has authority over the universe. It's just like when you create something in your own house. In your own house, the house that you are living in right now, no matter how small, no matter how big, you are the king of that particular place. If I come visiting you in that house and I tell you, this is the way you are supposed to arrange your chair. This is the way you are, this is where you are supposed to put your TV. You will look at me and say, oh God, Pastor, what is your own? Eh? I mean, what's your, how are you going to call? Because in your own area, in that your own, in that your own community, in that your own house, you are the owner of that particular territory. You are the lord of that particular territory. And that territory belongs to you. And you have total control of that particular place. If you, you cannot, that, the things that are in that house cannot tell you how, nobody can come and tell you how to run your house. Right. Or nobody should be able to come into your house and tell you how to run your house. And God is the owner of the universe. The Bible says he spoke the universe into existence. If he demands that the universe, the creation of his hands, should pay allegiance to him, is that unreasonable? 
Is that unreasonable? Is it unreasonable for all, for me to expect you to have control over your own property? Is it unreasonable? No. So that is one of the things you must understand that those who work with the Lord, number one, must obey the law of sovereign authority. And what is the law of sovereign authority? The law of sovereign authority simply states that God is in control over his creation. He rules and governs the affairs of his creation and God's creation enjoy a fruitful relationship with their creator when they recognize, when they submit and when they live in accordance with his dictate. In other words, you are going to enjoy your work with God. You are going to enjoy your fellowship with him when you recognize that he is God. Number two, when you submit to him and when you live in accordance with his, with his words. In other words, God says, sit, you sit. God says, stand, you stand. God says, jump, you say, how high? That is the way you walk with him. But if God says, sit, and you say, why? You say, move, you say, why? At one point in time, you begin to, God will begin to, who is the boss here? Eh? Who is the boss here? Because you have to be able to be submissive to the Almighty God. In other words, the law of sovereign authority therefore states that God is God no matter how you feel about it. Your feeling is irrelevant. God is God. The law of sovereign authority says that God has power and authority. God's power and authority are absolute. It doesn't matter whether you recognize it or you don't even recognize it. God's law and power and authority, they are absolute. If God says that it should be nice today, there's nothing you can do about it. That is the power and the authority of the Almighty God. It's absolute. Number three, the law of sovereign authority says that God's word is law. In other words, you can attempt to change it. You can attempt to challenge it. You can attempt to ignore it. But it doesn't make any difference. When the Lord says that hey, the soul that sins shall die, whether you believe it or you don't believe it, doesn't matter. If you commit sin, you are going to die. It's as simple as that. The Bible makes us to understand that if after death there is judgment. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, it doesn't make any difference. When you die, you will realize it. The point we are making is that God's word is law. And that is the law of sovereign authority. The law of sovereign authority says God owns everything. If you read the book of Psalms, the Bible tells the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, it doesn't make any difference. You can put your names on the building. You can monogram your name on your shirt. You can buy land. You can buy whatever you want to buy. The day you close your eyes in death, you are not taking it anywhere. It still belongs to him. God owns everything. It does at best the basic. Those are the that's the basic rule of uh, of uh, the law of uh, sovereign authority. And then finally, God has supreme authority. God has supreme authority, which means that every one of us, as we are sitting down here today, we are going to give final accounting. Whether you believe it or you don't believe it, doesn't make any difference. The day you close your eyes in death, you are going to stand before Him in judgment. And the question now is that: Is He going to welcome you? Is He going to welcome you, or is He going to rebuke you? That is the question. So the law of sovereign authority says God is the supreme and the final ruler. Now that, we have, now that we have a general understanding of the law of sovereign authority, there are seven principles upon which this law sits upon. For you to be able to obey this law, you must understand seven principles. The first one that you need to understand is that the principle, and the, uh, the principle of absolute power and authority. When you know that God has all the power, when you know that God has all the authority, it doesn't make sense for you to start arguing with him. If you know that somebody, it's just like when you go, okay, this, this example for those of us who are here in the U.S., you will not understand. But for those of us who come from Africa, who actually went through the process of going to the embassy to get a visa, if you know, you will understand this process, you will understand this particular illustration. If you go and you are talking to a counselor officer, 
you want to go to a particular co a country, you present your visa, you present your passport, you are looking for a visa. The guy looks at you and says, what are you going to do there? And then you give a reason and he tells you your reason is not good enough and you want to argue with him. You can argue from now to tomorrow. If the guy does not give you visa, there's nothing you can do. I hope you know that. And if you get to the airport and you want to get to the airport, maybe JFK or whatever airport that you are coming to get into this country, you present your passport and the immigration officer looks at you and says, no, you are not coming in. There is nothing you can do. You can argue that, yes, I bought tickets. You can argue that the ticket cost a lot of money. You can argue that I did. If he tells you you are not coming in, you are not coming in. That is authority. That is power. What we are saying now is that you are talking about God. Jesus Christ said that you should be afraid of the person who is able to kill not just the body, but the spirit. In other words, what, who is able to deal with your physical body is not as important as the person who can deal with your spirit. God has the final authority. When you understand that, it's easy for you to be submissive to him. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.